All right, welcome back to another episode of Overbooked. I am your host, Mike Freeland. I do appreciate you being so patient. I know episodes have been uh, kind of few and far between, but I'm trying to get this in as often as I can. So once again, I do appreciate you tuning in and listening. We are reading the Sabu book, which has been really good so far. We've already gotten through the first three chapters. If you've happened to miss those or you need a recap on some of those episodes, go ahead and you can check us out pretty much anywhere you find your major podcasts. And you can go ahead and listen up on those and catch up with us. Right now we are on chapter four, which is entitled RVD. And for some of you new fans to wrestling, that's Rob Van Dam. Around 1990, the Sheik had taken on four new students to train. They were following us all around. One was Samson, one was Judge Dredd, Dango, and some kid who looked like the actor from Bloodsport. Yep, you figured it out. It would be my future partner in crime, Rob Van Dam. Now, Rob's first experience in the ring was back in 1987, but it wasn't when he was bouncing off the ropes. No, he was at a WWF show at the time, and he actually got paid big bucks to get in the ring with Ted DiBiase and Virgil and kiss DiBiase's feet. Well, after that, he was bit by the wrestling bug and realized he needed to find out how he could become a wrestler. Still a senior in high school, Rob started doing a lot of research, but not for English or any other of his classes. He wanted to figure out how to become a wrestler. Back then, there was no internet. And after some digging, he found an ad in a wrestling magazine where they promised to send you a list of the very best secret professional wrestling schools in the land. He mailed out his $5 and he waited. Finally, two weeks later, he got the letter back. He scanned down the directory and found the closest one to him. First, he gave Larry Sharp at the Monster Factory a phone call. Next, he called Killer Kowalski's school. It was a little cheaper, so he decided that he'd go with that one. Cheap bastard. In 1989, in December, Rob was all set to go to Kowalski School. He was saving money from working at a grocery store. One day, some big guy came through one of his lines. As he was loading his bags, Rob mentioned something like, I wish I was as big as you. I want to get into pro wrestling. And it's just that it happened to be that that customer knew a guy much closer. The Sheik was right here in Michigan only 45 minutes away from Rob's parents' house. Rob was amazed, and he couldn't understand it. The Sheik's school was not even listed on the list in the magazine when he sent his $5 in. Rob contacted my Aunt Joyce and set up a tryout session. Now, around that time, there were others. There was a handful of other guys who also randomly would write letters to my uncle, sending them their pictures and asking to be trained. Out of all the applicants of the upcoming class, the only one who really looked the part of a wrestler was Samson and Dredd. Sheik agreed to let them in, and a few other hopefuls as well could come along the way for a possible new class. The first slot was filled by Dango, a big 400-pound Vietnamese guy. Rob got permission to bring him along into the tryout class, and they both had some dreams and goals. Well, on top of that, Rob told the Sheik that they both did Tough Man at one time and martial art competitions together, so it seemed like a possible good fit. Finally, the first day of class came. Sheik had some other potentials there as well, all standing in the ring with me waiting in the backyard. 
When Sheik finally came out of the house, he got into the ring and eyeballed everyone. He didn't just have them step up and give him their money. He truly respected the business and he planned to do things right away. Now, first, my uncle ran a few drills, checking to see who had any real potential. A handful of goofy-looking fuckers were eliminated almost right away. Then, Sheik did some strength and cardio tests, and even more herbs were dismissed. In the end, Samson, Dredd, Dango, and Rob were the only ones who made the cut. Sheik found a lot in Rob in that first day. He was pushing him hard, maybe around a bit much on the ropes. And you could see how he could move so quickly, checking his balance and his coordination. He had me get in the ring with him and push him around a little too. If it wasn't like mean stuff, it was more like, well, how well can he stay on his feet? Rob kept right up with me. He was landing on his feet like a cat. Do you have any kind of training or anything already? My uncle had asked him. Well, I do some flips and kicks. I figured that might be good for being in the ring. All right, show me, my uncle asked Rob. Rob unleashed with some pretty impressive kickboxing-style kicks on a crash dummy we had in the corner of the ring. The kicks were so fast and pretty high. What else can you do, he said to Rob. Rob did some splits and showed some really good flexibility. The sheik looked at me and I nodded. The kicks and the splits seemed to show some signs of athleticism. What else, he said to Rob. Rob did a backflip and then a few more acrobatic flips. The sheik looked at me again, and I nodded at him again. All right, come back next week and bring me some money, he said. Rob's eyes lit up. Thank you so much, sir, he said, super appreciative. I, I won't let you down. Well, Aunt Joyce had four new guys sign some kind of contract. It was something like $2,000 to take the classes, allowing them to pay pretty reasonable payments along the way. Although I didn't know if any of them actually ever paid everything in full. That didn't seem to matter at all. Not to my uncle. As long as they were trying. The other part of the contract was, I think it was a little more important, The she kind of agented some of them for a period of time. And that meant if anyone wanted to book them, they had to go through the sheik and that he would get some kind of cut. The new elite class, as we refer to it, of the four of us, well, we were out there now in Michigan. I think they got some kind of crappy apartment, all of them. It was in the city. Once they were settled, I started training with them in my uncle's backyard again. They were way out on a farm in the middle of nowhere where no one could see them. There was no real street signs. They'd never seen anything like that before. They were just training right out in the open. The only difference was this time it was nice to see that they didn't have to chop any trees down, especially not for a month and there was no splitting wood in their curriculum. Now, that's not to say that my hazing wasn't, however, over. Even while I was in the ring, practically training with these new guys myself sometimes, every so often I would have to go off and mow the grass for hours at a time, while the new guys were just drilling the basics in the ring. I'll be honest, working them was great, though. I was pulling all of it off, and all four of them started to succeed. I remember hoping that they would all be good, but I still was learning myself. I did most of the hands-on stuff in the ring, and the sheik was still recovering from his hip operation. I would shout some directions from the lawn chair from time to time and often leave some notes. Right away, I started onto the traditional wrestling practices, weeding out the weak. Following the instructions of my uncle, 
I stretched the guys a little. I blew them up. I made them sweat bullets under the hot sun for hours. We worked on amateur wrestling moves quite a bit. In fact, all the while I was showing them how to work without ever smartening them up. You did this back then, just in case somebody didn't make it through all their training, which was nine times out of ten. At the end of the day, we were all tired. We were in the ring. Oh, my goodness. We finally went ahead and put the ring away into the garage. It was an odd ring, and it had it cut in half so it could fit in the storage. I don't know why, but it worked. Teaching that class taught me a very valuable lesson. I learned that not everyone had a passion for wrestling like I did. Not everyone was a student of the game like I was from day one. But before going in, I didn't know that some guys didn't have the same heart as I did. Some guys just wanted to make money. You have to learn to eat dirt, the Sheik would often say, looking at one of the new guys falling short and stinking it up in the ring. My uncle treated me like shit, too, to make me tough. When I was training, I had to cut grass between practice matches. However, when RVD came in, Sheik really didn't have to do that with him. He didn't have to do that with Dango, Rob's best friend, or Judge Dredd. The difference with the other guys is they didn't have the same attitude or work ethic that Rob and I did. Whatever it was, we did it. Like they would say, I'm not throwing any extra gas money your way for mileage. We always pulled up the slack and did what we did to make it happen. This is probably why we took off and things worked so well. There were so many differences why other guys just seemed to not make it and fell off. I wanted to make it in wrestling, but I wasn't in it for the money. At this point early on, if I got to wrestle, it was almost a payment in itself. Later on down the road, we would eventually see that Samson, Dango, and Dredd didn't really have the complete desire to be a contender. Sure, they would do some spot shows here and there, and eventually they didn't have what it take to really climb the ladder up to the top. They didn't have the mindset that nothing was going to be handed to you, and you were going to have to work hard for everything that you wanted. They didn't want to eat dirt. And then there was Rob. Rob loved dirt. Rob would eat piles of dirt. Rob would come into time to train. He was always on time. He had a great work ethic. He would train hard all day and think about things to do when he wasn't there. And trust me, it showed. Now, Sheik was old school. He was all about the basics. He protected the business in every aspect. You could graduate through the entire school and have never been smartened up by him by the way he taught you everything. At no point did he say or indicate to any of the students that wrestling had secrets. You could have passed with flying colors and never have known the wiser. Basics were everything. What are you afraid of? Are you going to hurt him? You look like a couple of cunts out there. You would yell at us during practice. Come on, grab him. Sheik would get all riled up. Then in the ring, he'd fire up on us. He would beat the shit out of the students and really focusing on Rob. Sometimes he was exceptionally rough on Rob because he wanted, I guess, Rob to succeed. He would scare and intimidate Rob. He would even stretch Rob in a crazy submission and bite his nose sometimes. And all the while, he would never do anything like that. He would never even smarten us up. Sheik really wanted to see what would happen. He wanted to see who would jump down on a guy and go to town on him. He wanted to see if you would try to win no matter what. Are you trying to win? 
At the end of the discussion, he'd say, if you don't do this, then you don't know what the hell you're doing in the ring. But Rob and I were pretty creative, and we complemented each other pretty well with our passion and abilities to be innovative. We would wait for the sheik to head into the house to get some iced tea or something. Whenever it was just us out there, we knew it was time to shift gears. The basics would go out the window, which no sheik was there, so we had time to practice these weird moves. The weirder, the better. Flips, bouncing off ropes, spinning around, anything that looked different. That shift in class was our unspoken rule. It's funny, though. The moment the sheik would return, we'd go right back to those basics. This is probably why Rob would often come over when there was no class scheduled, when it was just me and Rob. Sometimes a sheik would be out on the road or actually nowhere to be found. Then it's when we'd really get crazy. We didn't do anything that no one else wouldn't do necessarily in the ring, but we would do anything anywhere. We just wanted to invent new moves. We would come flying off the ropes. We would add acrobatics to it. And we were just athletic. And we were students of the game. And because of this, I finally had someone to work with who had the same mindset I did. We really hit it off, to say the least. Now, I wasn't all as acrobatic as Rob was at this point. Rob would have to show me how to do some of the flips. And I would show him how to position himself and maybe some flashy arm drags. But Rob was a natural and already a bit of ready for the big show. He was ready to get into wrestling. And that was good. Every summer, I guess, Rob would go to some summer camps and learn how to do flips and moves. As a young kid, he already was extremely competitive. Extremely. When he would go to the swimming pool, he would see the kids bouncing around on the diving board. And then there was this kid who could do a big flip. Rob would then come in and work a double flip. If he saw a kid on the diving board do a backflip, Rob would practice until he could do a backflip and a half. That's just the way he was. Then if someone else would come along and match his back flip and a half, well, that wouldn't fly. Before we'd work out, Rob would stretch forever, much longer than anyone else I'd ever seen. Because of this, Rob was like super stretchy. He was like Gumby. Because of his flexibility, you never could really hurt him. He would do all these crazy stretches that his body was just so limber. It was ready for anything. That really helped him excel. I remember one time, we were coming down hard off the top rope and landed on his head. And because he had stretched out so well, nothing ever broke. He just kind of bounced. I saw something in Rob. I knew that he had to eat dirt in order to succeed. And he did. Pack your bags, Sheik said, hanging up the phone one day. Let's go. Uh, where are we going? Memphis, he said, like it was no big deal. I learned already a lot in the Memphis area, working for some of them before. But this time, my uncle got all of us, the whole entourage, booked. I think maybe at this time, she gets some matches with Lawler or Mantell. I was working some of the mid-card guys, and Rob was having his first match with Dango. She had taught us that there was no bullshit in the locker room. You are no longer a fan. You don't mark out. You don't ask for pictures with guys. You were one of the boys, and that was it. You were pretty much kept to yourself. You were friendly. You introduced yourself. You shook hands with everyone before you left. In the ring, I thought that the Memphis die was all right, but it wasn't really me. I always had tried to add some more effort into it and get noticed. And then I'd get shot down. 
I wanted to match the match and make it faster, a little rougher, but that wasn't how they worked there. Sometimes they would tell me I was working too hard, and they always said that I needed to slow down. Back then, I honestly had no clue what they meant by slowing down. Looking back, I do understand what they were trying to say, but you know, honestly, I don't believe in that mentality, that cartoony Memphis style. It just wasn't for me. The guys in Memphis would love to say, save those big moves for the big shows, but I never listened. The Sheik wasn't with me on every show at this point, so I was off getting my own bookings here and there, but I always did what I was taught. He told me to treat everyone and to show everyone respect, and on the big shows, make sure everyone knows what you're doing. Make sure you captivate people in the audience, because many fans who don't know a whole lot, they try to go to shows, and it's a big show to them, so every show is important. Once it was revealed in Wrestling's Magazine that Terry S.R., or sometimes Terry S.R., was in fact the Sheik's nephew, he decided that I should play off his gimmick a little more to make some money. This is when my name change occurred. My new name was to be Sabu, the Elephant Boy. I don't know what it meant at first. I didn't know if it had been envisioned as a Dumbo-like WWF cartoony gimmick, I didn't know if I was going to have some kind of debilitating disease linked to my hunchback, made me an elephant man. I, I don't even know what to expect. So what did I do? I just asked. The sheik pulled out an Indian head wrap from a big bag and handed it to me. Then he proceeded to pin it all around my skull. Well, you're going to be a young wrestler from India, he said, trying to offer some clarification to my character. Okay, I said, but why am I Indian? Because you're going to be a heel now, he said. Okay, but why does being from India all of a sudden make me a heel? Because I hate Indians. And that was that. The Sabu part of my name came from the special meaning from my uncle. There was a movie called The Elephant Boy. And from way back in 1937, the Sheik really loved that kid. It was a British adventure film starring a young actor who only went by the name of Sabu in the film. The film was shot in Moray, India, and was based on a story called Tumai the Elephant in Rugyard Clipping's The Jungle Book. I also came to find out that the term elephant boy in India was almost like the term cowboy here in the States. It somehow was managed to kind of work. Only the thing was, some people just looked at me as some type of indigenous beast. The Sheik always loved the movie. It left a big impression on him, so much that he wanted to name his son Sabu after the British boy in the film, The Jungle Book. But my aunt, Aunt Joyce, was not having any of that. However, she was more conservative, and in the end, she finally gave in a little bit to his passion and let him use the name, sort of, on a different member of the family. I don't mean it, though. It, it wasn't the first Sabu. There was one before me. You see, the Sheik named his dog Sabu. He was the original one-ton canine shitting machine. He was a big white bastard of a German shepherd that could drop about 20 pounds of poo in one pile at any given morning. I know all this too well because I myself, on many days, had to clean those steaming mounds during my training days on the farm. Who knew I would eventually inherit the name from a dog? I tried the new Sabu gimmick out during my Memphis tour. 
And from June to August of 91, I was a big fan of comedy spots, so I knew the gimmick wasn't really a good fit there. They wanted me to be a feared gimmick, like the Sheik was. But everyone kept pushing me to do silly, stereotypical, nonsense things that were according to my character. One of the most notable runs at this time was during a name in a series of matches with Jeff Jarrett. USWA kept billing me as Samu on television. For whatever reason, I still don't know. Maybe they just got my name wrong, or maybe Jerry Lawler was out there chasing little puppies and not paying attention. So Samu, the mystery man, chased Jeff around and often teamed with Robert Fuller against me and Judge Dredd. Samu had also had a few matches with Danny Davis. I didn't have any real heat with Bill Dundee or Jerry Lawler, but they would motherfucking rib the hell out of anyone new. They would ask them for advice, and then they would embarrass them in front of everyone in the locker room. They would ask for help in the town, but then they send us off in the wrong direction and make us super late for a show, then point out to everyone that we were late when we finally showed up. They sucked. At one point between the horrible payoffs and the limited wrestling style in that territory, I was almost ready to quit. My uncle convinced me to stick with the bookings as it would have looked bad to pull out and quit. Also, my friends were there, and I made some new friends like Chris Candido, who helped. He made Memphis a little better to deal with, so I managed to see things that through there until the end of the tour. Sheik had really bad hips, both of them, from years and years of wrestling hard. While wrestling, a bunch of blah-blah matches in Memphis, as a brand new nobody, the Sheik and I had developed a ritual. Before every show, I had to actually help him put his boots on. There wasn't even a respect thing, though. I had all the respect in the world for him. His hips were actually so bad he couldn't reach his feet without writhing in pain. The Sheik finally went against his work ethic and took some a few months off from the business to get the much-needed hip surgery. It turns out that it was a wise investment for him, and money well spent. Once he had the surgery, he was seemingly all better, and just like that. The operation made him a new man again, so much that he never really retired after that. He worked as much as possible. Finally, Japan called. The timing of the Japanese bookings was perfect. My first FMW tour was all set. I was going to be making 2500 a week. Now, I will admit, Onida really only booked me because he wanted the Sheik, and I was actually part of the deal. So to be honest, I'm sure Onida had obviously no clue who I was. After we got the call from Onida for Frontier Martial Arts, we were both ready to go off to compete for FMW World Brass Knuckle Tag Team Championship. That's going to do it for Chapter 4. This has been really interesting. We learned more about Rob Van Dam. We learned about how the Sheik had only accepted a few people. They didn't make it. Rob made it. And that Memphis was one of the areas that Sebu started off with the Sheik. Uh, obviously, Sebu had a lot more talent at that time than a lot of people expected him to have. And his style just didn't work in Memphis. And as we've learned in wrestling, not every territory, not every area within the United States wrestles the same way. And, and there's no, no doubt that he was not happy wrestling in Memphis. I also think he wasn't happy with the older regime in wrestling who would rib the guys pretty hard. Seems like Sabu was a pretty straight shooter on that kind of thing. But he stuck with his uncle. 
Rob was succeeding. He meets Chris Candido. His uncle has hip surgery, which it sounds like it was brutal before that. I'm not really sure how Sabu's uncle could even wrestle with bad hips. I mean, the man couldn't even put on his boots. But now we're getting into an area that some ECW fans are familiar with and some people aren't familiar with, and that's FMW. That's over in Japan. It is uh, Frontier Martial Arts. It's an extreme version of wrestling. We're going to talk more about it when we get to Chapter 5, which is going to be entitled FMW. Hopefully that episode will drop soon as well. But we appreciate all your support. Thank you so much for listening to this. And we will catch you on the next episode of Overbooked.